Okay, praise the Lord. What a powerful time of worship. The Lord is truly here, and I'm just so excited to worship with all of you. Before we get into the Word of God, uh, there are some announcements, just a few. Uh, but if you are here for the very first time, then you are our special guest. And so we have a very um, special gift bag for you. Uh, this is normally not done, but today is Easter, so we have a gift bag. Uh, don't forget to pick one up at the welcome table if you haven't already. Um, Afterwards, we also invite all of you to stay here for lunch. We're going to be having it right here in this area, so you don't have to go anywhere. If you want to join us for lunch, then just sit where you're sitting and stay. And then we're going to be having a barbecue lunch. And then during that lunch, we're also going to be having a raffle. So if you haven't picked up a ticket on the way in, then make sure you get a ticket as well. We just wanted to uh, bless everybody who joined us today. So we're going to be raffling off some prizes. Uh, some are small, uh, some are not as small, but the grand prize, I'm very excited, but we're going to be giving away two leather-bound ESV study Bibles. And from what I know, from my opinion, this is the best study Bible you can find today. And so we're very excited to be raffling those off. So make sure you get a ticket. And then we also have children's activities. If you are here with children, then we have different activities that will be happening during lunch. We, I, I believe we have some face painting. We're going to be having an Easter egg hunt. So if you are a child, if you have the heart of a child, <laughs> if you're a parent, um, you can join in those activities. And then finally, we are a local church. And so we do meet here, not right here in the park, uh, but we meet in the building right behind you. And so uh, we meet here at the Dell Center every Sunday at 1030. We're not normally outside, but we're indoors. So just meet us indoors every 10, uh, Sunday at 1030 and you can join us. We also stream online. You can find us on YouTube live, so you can join us there. If you actually have a gift bag, on the, uh, inside the bag, you'll see a little green info card. I wish I have one so I could show you, but on the back of that info card, you'll see a QR code. Just scan that with your phone, and it'll take you straight to the live stream. It's very high tech, <laughs> at least for me. But you can go straight to the live stream page and then stream and join us online. Amen? Okay, with that, open up your Bibles to Ezekiel 37, 1 through 14. Ezekiel 37, 1 through 14. And if you don't have your Bibles, then you, you should be able to find the passage on that sheet of paper you were handed on the way in. Ezekiel 37, 1 through 14. Praise God. This is God's word. The hand of the Lord was upon me, and he brought me out in the spirit of the Lord and set me down in the middle of the valley. It was full of bones. And he led me around among them, and behold, there were very many on the surface of the valley, and behold, they were very dry. And he said to me, Son of man, can these bones live? And I answered, O Lord God, you know. Then he said to me, Prophesy over these bones and say to them, O dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. Thus says the Lord God to these bones, Behold, I will cause breath to enter you, and you shall live, and I will lay sinews upon you, and will cause flesh to come upon you, and cover you with skin, and put breath in you, and you shall live, and you shall know that I am the Lord. So I, Ezekiel, prophesied as I was commanded, and as I prophesied, there was a sound, and behold, a rattling, and the bones came together, bone to bone. And I looked, and behold, there were sinews on them, and flesh had come upon them, and skin had covered them, and there was no breath in them. 
Then God said to me, prophesy to the breath, prophesy, son of man, and say to the breath, thus says the Lord God, come from the four winds, O breath, and breath, and breathe on these slain, that they may live. So I prophesied as he commanded me, and the breath came into them, and they lived and stood on their feet, an exceedingly great army. Then he said to me, son of man, these bones are the whole house of Israel. Behold, they say, our bones are dried up. And our hope is lost. We are clean cut off. Therefore prophesy and say to them, Thus says the Lord God, Behold, I will open your graves and raise you from your graves, O my people, and I will bring you into the land of Israel. And you shall know that I am the Lord when I open your graves and raise you from your graves, O my people. And I will put my spirit within you and you shall live and I will place you in your own land. Then you shall know that I am the Lord. I have spoken and I will do it declares the Lord. Amen. Let's pray. Father God, you are truly glorious and you are here with us today. And Lord Jesus, you are not in the grave, but Lord, you have risen. And so Lord God, you are here right in the midst. Your presence is here. And so Lord God, we want to just worship you today. We want to glorify you. We want to turn our hearts and our attention towards you. And Lord Jesus, we want to receive whatever you have to say to us. And so Lord God, I pray and ask that you would open our hearts to receive your word by faith. We ask you, Holy Spirit, to please open our minds, open our eyes so that we may see the glories in your truth, in your word. So Lord God, we give you all the praise. Thank you for this day. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Okay, well, praise the Lord. Well, it's wonderful to have all of you guys here today to celebrate Easter, the day that Jesus rose again from the dead after dying upon the cross for our sins. And this is not an event that we are doing alone, amen? But there are literally billions of people who are celebrating with us. You know what? I don't know what happened, but my children use my iPad and a picture just popped up and I don't see my notes. Joshua, do you know what's going on? <laughs> What, what, what is this? There's like this weird smiley face picture that popped up. <laughs> um, how do you get rid of this? Okay, there you go. It's gone. It was like the scariest thing. I'm preaching and this big smiley face popped up. I'm like, oh my gosh. <laughs> okay, <laughs> never happened before. I'm going to have to keep this away from my kids. Okay, where was I? <laughs> okay, praise God. Okay, so we are not celebrating alone. But there are literally an entire global community of Christians celebrating with us today. But according to the Center for the Study of Global Christianity, this year, 2.6 billion Christians are celebrating Easter around the world. And out of that 2.6 billion, 1 billion are what we would call Protestants. These are non-Catholic, non-Eastern Orthodox Christians, just like us. So this is no small affair. And contrary to popular belief, Christianity is not on the decline, I know we hear that a lot these days, don't we? But it is not declining, but it still remains the largest religion in the world. And even as the global population is shrinking, the number of Christians around the world continues to grow, especially in places like Africa and Asia. Now, Islam is catching up fast, but Christianity is still the largest religion. But what makes Christianity so enduring and appealing to so many around the world? even as it's being misrepresented, marginalized, and attacked constantly. Have you ever thought about that? But what draws people to Christianity? I'm not talking about the false version of Christianity that we hear so often, 
that obviously tempt people with empty things, but I'm talking about the true form of Christianity. What draws people to that? Well, that's a very big question, and it's beyond the scope of this sermon. But my own answer, if I were to answer that question, why is Christianity so enduring and appealing? Well, first and foremost, I would say it's the hand of God. Didn't Jesus say, I will build my church and the gates of hell won't prevail? Amen? And so that's one answer. It's God's work. It's God's doing. But I believe another answer is found in the nature of what Christianity is. What do I mean? Christianity is not just another religion that turns non-religious people into religious people. Now that can happen, but it's more than that. It's not even a religion that turns bad people into good people. And that also happens. But true Christianity at its core is something far greater. But it is a religion, or more accurately, it is a way of knowing and living with God in this world. And please listen, that takes dead people and makes them alive. That's what Christianity is. It takes dead people and makes them alive. So Christianity at its core really only deals with two different domains, life and death. That's what Christianity is all about. It really only deals with life and death. The Apostle John made this so clear in 1 John 5, 12. Whoever has the Son, Jesus Christ, has life. Whoever does not have the Son of God does not have life. That sums it up pretty well. So Christianity at its core only deals with two realms, life and death. And for those who truly come to know and experience God through Jesus Christ will experience this miracle of going from death to life. This is why we're here today. This is why we are singing these songs. It's because many of us here have experienced that, going from life to death, including me. Because when I was little, I grew up in the church. In my culture, that's just something that everyone does. We all just go to church. And so I remember going to church every Sunday, and for me, church was mainly a way to just not get my parents upset. You had to go to church, see some friends, and get a free lunch, like today. (laughs) So that's all church was. And as I grew older, that's pretty much what it was. I still saw church as a way to see friends. Although as I entered high school, it kind of changed a little. But I began to see church as a place to begin to learn some interesting things. Learn about right and wrong, maybe some philosophical ideas about life. So occasionally I had those thoughts. And so that was pretty much church to me. And this went on until one day I went to college and then I met God. Freshman year in college, I met the risen Christ. And I came to truly understand and believe what Jesus did for me and why he came to me, why he came to all of us to die and rise again. But I truly came to understand that and I met God. And I remember it was a very distinct moment, but one night I walked out into the campus. I was going through some drama, some trials regarding my future. And so in that kind of dramatic college way, I went out into the campus late at night, nobody was around, and I just laid flat on the ground in the middle of campus. Just laid flat on the ground, didn't even know who was around. And I began to just kind of pray to a God who's out there. God, if you're there, that kind of a prayer. And I just began to cry out and I began to pray. And I cannot tell you what happened. I kid you not. I cannot describe exactly what happened, but God met me. Suddenly the presence of God, I just sensed him upon me and he met me. And in that moment, I began to just pray over and over again. I stopped complaining and I said, I believe. I believe, I believe. Now, why did I do that? Even with tears, I can't say. I don't know why. But I continued to lay there 
for 30 minutes, an hour, I don't know, but I just kept praying. I believe, I believe, and then I went on to pray other things. And in that moment, I went from not knowing if God was really there to then not being able to deny that God is there. I knew God was there. Now, did I suddenly form all my beliefs about God in that single moment? No. I already had some beliefs about God, going to church as a little kid. Maybe I even had a little bit of faith. But there was something different that happened after meeting God that day. Because something changed. Everything changed, in fact. The way I saw God changed, the way I saw myself changed. Even the palm trees have changed. You've heard the story before if you come to our church. But I remember getting up from that spot and I began to walk back to my dorm room and I saw the palm trees for the first time. Palm trees like that, right? Like that. And I began to realize, oh my goodness, the way God made these palm trees, they look like hands praising God raised to the sky. And I remember just kind of staring at the palm trees going like that. If somebody saw me that night, they would have thought I was on drugs, but this was no drug. Okay, this was no drug. This was God. Okay, God met me. And that was just the beginning. From that moment on, everything changed. I can't exaggerate this. Everything changed. My interest in church changed. I used to fall asleep during sermons all the time. I could not fall asleep from that point on. My involvement at church changed. My desire to spend God changed. I would grab the guitar, go to the roof of my apartment, and begin to just pray and worship and sing to God. My interest in the Bible changed. I started sleeping with my Bible under my pillow. Okay, that's not the important point. The important point is what I did with my Bible when I was awake. But I would just read it. I would go to McDonald's or just go to the campus and just read and read and read and read. I couldn't get enough of Scripture. And eventually, over time, the entire course of my life changed. Nobody wakes up thinking I'm going to be a pastor one day. Nobody wants that. The only reason I'm here doing this is because God changed my life. And I didn't know at that time, but looking back, this is what happened to me. But when I look back at that young Roy back in college, what happened to me is I went from the realm of spiritual death to the realm of spiritual life. That's exactly what happened. God took me from death to life. And even as my life began to hit some major storms, because less than two years later, I lost my younger brother to a terrible, tragic thing that happened. And then that set into motion a series of other tragic family events. But even as those things happened, that life of God in me, as I went from death to life, that life did not go away. It did not diminish. Again, I cannot exaggerate this. Yes, was I disappointed in God? Absolutely. I struggled. I even took time off from school. A lot of things were happening in my family, but that life in God in me did not diminish. To the contrary, it grew. It grew. It grew. It grew until finally I quit everything that I was going to do, and then I entered the ministry. What happened? I went from death to life. So what I said earlier is my experience, but Christianity at its core deals with only two realms, life and death. This is why I believe it is the fastest growing religion around the world by adult conversion. Yes, Islam is growing faster, but it's because of birth. They have a lot of kids. But through adult conversion, it is Christianity, and the reason why is because people are experiencing that power of going from death to life. And it draws millions and billions around the world to this Savior who can give life. And so now, when we look at Ezekiel 37, 1 through 14, this is exactly what we see. But we meet a God who takes people from death to life. But Ezekiel 37 is a vision that the prophet Ezekiel received from God. 
Ezekiel was a Jewish prophet. He lived in the 6th century BC. He was one of the Jews who was actually taken into Babylon as an exile. And why were the Jews ripped from their land and taken to Babylon? Well, that's a very long story. But it has to do with rebellion. They were rebelling against God, and so that was judgment upon them. But here was Ezekiel in Babylon. He was a contemporary of Jeremiah, so they would have been alive at around the same time. If Jeremiah was an old man, Ezekiel would have been a very young man. And around the age of 30, God called him into the prophetic ministry. And somewhere between 590 and 570 BC, Ezekiel had this vision. So God gave him this vision. And in this vision, you clearly see the two domains of life and death that Christianity is all about. And specifically in this vision, you see the valley of death. You see the looming question that we all ask. And finally, the resurrection to life. So it's very clear. We see the valley of death, the looming question, and the resurrection to life. So first, the valley of death. It says in Ezekiel 37, verse 1, The hand of the Lord was upon me, and he brought me out in the spirit of the Lord, and set me down in the middle of the valley. It was full of bones. And he led me around among them. And behold, there were very many on the surface of the valley. And behold, they were very dry. So this was most likely a vision of an actual valley. But in the vision, this valley that Ezekiel saw was full of bones. So these were human bones. This was not a pet cemetery. This was not a tar pit full of dinosaur bones. But these were human bones. And this valley represented death in the human world. These were also dry bones. These bones were not mostly dead. You know, I love the movie Princess Bride. My kids and I watched that not long ago. But Billy Crystal explained that some people could be mostly dead, but not all dead, right? That's not the case here. These bones were dead dead. They were all dead. They were dry and bleached white. They were laying under the hot sun. Vultures and wild animals had already picked all the meat off. Long ago, these bones were dead. And finally, these were many bones, many bones. These bones did not come from one poor soul that got killed somehow. No, there were multitudes and multitudes of bones. This was a holocaust of bones. And later we learned that these bones represented the entire nation of Israel. So what does this multitude of dry human bones represent? Well, I just said it. At one level, it represented Israel, the nation of Israel, and their death. They symbolically died when they were dragged into exile, into Babylon. So at one level, it represents that. But when I look at the scope and the magnitude of this vision, I believe it points to something far greater than just Israel. But I believe that it represents all of humanity and the death, the reality of death in general. It represents all of us and the reality of death that we all face. And not just one kind of death, but layers of death. Many layers of death. So I just mentioned that these bones represented the death of the nation. So that's one kind of death. That's what it seemed like to the Jews when they were dragged into exile. They, they literally felt like as a people, we, we are dead. We died. But the bones represented more than that. There were deeper layers. In verse 11, God mentioned lost hope, despair. It says, then God said to me, son of man, these bones are the whole house of Israel. Behold, they say, our bones are dried up. Our hope is lost. Did you read that? So these bones also represented despair, loss of hope. 
And dried bones in Jewish literature often represented that, despair, utter loss of hope. And so for us, when we look at our human experience, our lives, this is one layer of death that we all face. Because somewhere in our lives, we will all face despair. And I remember back when my brother passed away, I remember directly seeing what despair looked like for the first time. Probably for the first time, I saw true despair in the faces of my parents because they were utterly shocked. My brother took his life, but it was utterly shocked when he passed away. And they were in despair. I saw what that looked like. Their hope was crushed. This was not the plan they had for his life. And they are not alone in this experience. But I remember coming across this, kind of random, but the author who wrote Anne of Green Gables, how many of you guys love Anne of Green Gables? Okay, Brother Jason? <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. But Anne of Green Gables, do you guys like that? But this author said, my life is a perfect graveyard of buried hopes. It's kind of dark, <laughs> coming from an author who wrote such a charming book. But I think it's even more powerful knowing that this author who wrote such wonderful stories said, but in my life, my life is a perfect graveyard of buried hopes. But that's not just her. Okay, everyone is like that. Anyone who has lived long enough in this world will understand what that means. I remember, I've shared this before, but my grandmother one time, we were looking at some family pictures on the wall. I was visiting her. And as we were just kind of looking at these pictures, I looked over and my grandmother had tears coming down her eyes, her face. And she just looked at me going, Roy, you don't understand. And at that moment, I'm like, you're right, Grandma. I don't, I, don't, I don't understand. Why are you crying? But as I get older, I think I know why. It's because as she looked at all those old photos, there was all this hopeless despair, or at least the sense of, like, things didn't turn out exactly the way we thought. A lot of things that I hoped for, now they're buried. And so we all go through this. But anyone who has lived long enough understands despair. And little by little, as the years go by, despair begins to sink more and more into our hearts. So there are things that could have happened but didn't. And every year, the, ch the chance to make these things happen, they seem to slip through our fingers. Okay, if you don't understand that, you're not old enough. But as you reach my age, you begin to understand. Okay, I don't think I'm ever going to get these things. The opportunities are closing. And then there are things that did happen and you didn't want them to happen. And in the midst of that, things get taken away. And so life is cruel. Over time, this breathes despair. And so the Israelites, they had this despair. They had their promised land. They had their identity. And all of that was taken away. They felt hopeless. And so what's wonderful here is that God acknowledged it. He acknowledged this layer of death that we all experienced. In verse 13, we see another layer of death. God told the Israelites, and you shall know that I am the Lord when I open your graves and raise you from your graves, O my people. Did you hear that? I'm going to read it again. You shall know that I am the Lord when I open your graves and raise you from your graves. He's talking to a people who are actually alive still. What is he talking about? Well, God was using figurative language here, and he was speaking to them as if they were buried alive. He was saying this to a people who are living, but they were as if they were buried alive. So the Israelites were alive in exile, but they were living like they were in the grave. This is what God is saying. They were living as if they had been buried alive. And so this is another layer of death that people experience. Because sometimes despair creeps into our hearts slowly like a cold night. Right? It's been cold recently, but it kind of creeps up on us. But other times, trials crash over us. Things happen to us in life, and it buries us alive. And sometimes these trials are unexpected. They come out of nowhere. 
But other times, they're a direct consequence of our actions. So then we get buried under something else, guilt, enormous guilt. You know, going back to my brother when he passed away, I experienced that. I saw despair in my parents, but when I looked at my heart, I, I felt buried alive under guilt. Because I felt like I could have done more. What could I have done? What didn't I do? This is somehow my fault. I genuinely felt that way. And you know you've been buried deep when it's literally hard to breathe. And there were moments like that. It was just hard to even breathe. Okay, that's the feeling of being buried alive. And so this is another layer of human death. But there's one more we see. And this is the worst kind. But the worst kind of death is feeling cut off from God. And this is also in our passage, verse 11. God told the Israelites, behold, they say our bones are dried up and our hope is lost. We are clean cut off. We are clean cut off. So the Israelites were God's chosen people. God had rescued them from slavery in Egypt. He made a covenant with them. For most of us, that doesn't mean anything, but that literally means he married them. God married the Jewish people. He gave them a land flowing with milk and honey, and he blessed them. And then the Israelites took that precious relationship with God, and then they threw it away by rebelling against him, going after other false gods. They cheated on God. So God warned them, come back to me. They wouldn't. He warned them again, come back to me. They wouldn't. He warned them again, come back to me. They wouldn't. So eventually, he brought judgment, and he handed them over to their enemies. And so now you can imagine being one of the Israelites who had this special relationship with God, literally married to God, but now they're in exile. They're cut off. This is why they said, we're clean cut off. This is how they felt. We're cut off from God. You know, I remember reading the testimony one time of this man. I don't believe he was a Christian, but he had cheated on his wife, and eventually he lost his wife and his kids. And then he was living with this other woman, and then eventually that woman left him too. That seems to happen often. But that woman left him too. And so here he is now, old, all alone. And he talked about how he still kept a picture of his family in his desk drawer. And every now and then he would pull out that picture and just kind of look at it. And he told, I don't know who, who he was talking to, but he, he said that he felt, whenever he saw that picture, he felt the pain of what he lost. Because he knew that as he looked at that picture, I'm cut off from these precious people. And I might never have them back again. And so when I heard that, that's exactly how the Israelites felt with God. They probably thought about God here and there. They probably took out his picture, if he had a picture. And they probably thought, you know what, we had something before. But now it's cut off. And so this is how many people feel. Even those who don't particularly believe in God, they don't even go to church. But in their clearer moments, they have that sense deep down that there's something missing. There's a void, there's an emptiness. And they might not use this language, but it's the sense of being cut off from God. That's what they're sensing. They are cut off from God. And earlier I said this is the worst kind of death. In fact, this is the ultimate death. Because the Bible says all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. They have fallen short of God's standards. Romans 6.23 says the wages of sin is death. And so what that means is, if we are in sin, and we all are, but if we are in sin without God, then what sin gets you is always death. That is what sin earns you every time, death. And this is far greater than just physical death, but this is eternal death, being separated from God, being truly cut off from God. 
So these are the many, many layers of death that we all experience. This is the human experience. So death is the great reality in human life. So whether it's despair, being buried under pain and guilt, whether it's being cut off from God, even if you don't believe in God, you have that sense of there's something missing, right? There's something that I'm searching my whole life that I can't find. This is the reality. Death is standing at the door of every human life. And even for those who feel like they're the exception. I don't know what you're talking about, Roy. Right? I don't know, you know all this talk about death because my life is going very well. Thank you very much. Well, even for these people, they don't know what's waiting for them beyond this life. They don't even know what's waiting for them tomorrow. Proverbs 16, 25 says, There is a way that seems right to a man, but in the end, it is the way of death. So they don't know. That's just wishful thinking. So this is the reality everyone lives under. Humanity is a cut flower placed in a jar of water. See, you look around, you look at society, you look at what human beings are doing. I mean, it's great. Human beings are awesome, right? They're creative. They're made in the image of God. They make music. They draw art. They can program computers. We've made AI, right? What's greater than that? We've developed AI. We have medicine. I mean, human beings are amazing. And yet, humanity is a cut flower. Death is already in the stem and in the petals. Death is already creeping. And the Bible is brutally honest about that. See, it doesn't, it doesn't talk about death as a part of a circle of life. It doesn't say that death is something natural that we should accept. No, the Bible is clear. It says death is an unwanted intruder. It's an enemy. In fact, it's the final enemy. And I believe everyone, Christian and non-Christian, religious and non-religious, young and old, we all believe that. We all know that deep down. We all know that death is unnatural. It's not a part of the circle of life. It is an enemy to me. Nobody who is diagnosed with terminal cancer just shrugs and says, oh, well, death is just a part of life. I guess it's my turn to go around the circle. Nobody thinks that. You immediately feel like, why? Right? Immediately, this is an intruder, an enemy in your life. Why me? This should not happen to me. And so if this is the reality that all of us live under, then there is a very important question that we should all be asking. If this is the truth, if this is the reality, death is a part of the human experience, it is an enemy, we cannot avoid it, then here's the question we should all be asking. It's the same question God asked Ezekiel. And this brings us to our next point, the looming question. Ezekiel 37.3, God said to me, son of man, can these bones live? That's the question. In other words, can the dead come back to life? Can those who are dying live on forever? Can death be overcome? There's many different ways to say it, but can these dead bones live? And this is not a question that God alone is asking, but I believe everyone's asking that. Again, we don't talk about it. We just distract ourselves with sports and music and concerts and even church. Even church is a distraction. But in our quieter moments, I think we all deep down ask that question. How do I face death? How do I deal with this? Is there any solution? Our entire society is asking it. You know, I came across this article on CNBC one time back in 2021. It was titled, Silicon's Valley Quest to Live Forever. Silicon Valley's Quest to Live Forever. Some of you guys work in Silicon Valley. Are you trying to live forever? According to this article, people there are. But this article said, a growing number of tech billionaires have decided they want to use their enormous wealth to try and help humans cheat death. 
Another article said, while we all know that billionaires control a substantial amount of the world's wealth, in fact, current projections see the richest 1% controlling two-thirds of the world's wealth by 2030. That's just outrageous. <laughs> They're going to control the vast majority of the wealth in 2030, by 2030. But what they use their vast fortunes on may surprise you. When they aren't investing in space shuttles, underground hyperloops, and sprawling tech campuses, the super rich are looking at a range of mind-blowing methods to increase their lifespan. So what are these billionaires spending their money on? They're trying to live forever. This is what they're saying. And so with all of those billions pouring in, the longevity industry is exploding. That is a real industry. People are dedicating their lives and technology and science and medicine to try to live forever. And all these tech billionaires are funneling billions of dollars into that. And not all of it is bad. A lot of it is focused on curing terminal disease. So those things are good. But there's this almost frenetic obsession driving this industry. It's the obsession to live forever. People want to live forever because they recognize there is death. That is the reality. And yes, I'm going to distract myself as long as possible, but no one is distracted forever. One day you will face that reality. Like I did, unexpectedly, third year in college. My brother was gone. We all face that reality. So there is this obsession. How do we solve this problem? Can dry bones live? You know, just the other week, Jill and I, we saw this article featuring a tech billionaire who spends $2 million a year. <laughs> Most people don't even earn $2 million their whole lifetime, but he spends $2 million a year to try to reverse his aging. I'll keep his name anonymous. He dedicates hours a day monitoring his health, calibrating his body. He counts his calories. He eats, I think, exactly 1,997 calories a day because he learned from some doctor that that's the optimum amount. So he eats exactly that amount every day. And he's 45 years old, and doctors say that he has the heart of a 37-year-old, he has the skin of a 28-year-old, and he has the lung capacity of an 18-year-old. And when I saw that article, I showed Jill, and I said, hey, look at this. This guy looks good. And my wife wasn't as impressed. She's like, he still looks 45. <laughs> so I'm like, okay. Well, unfortunately, whatever he might look like, I know what's going to happen to him. I don't have to be a prophet. I know exactly what's going to happen to him. He might live a little longer, maybe longer than any of us, but eventually he's going to die. That's exactly what's going to happen to this man who spends $2 million a year to live forever. He will die. So this is the problem of death. And people are trying to solve it. And we've only looked at one area of tech, but there are people trying to approach this problem in many different ways, through the government, yes, that's going to work, the government, education, medicine, even philosophy. Sam Harris, the atheist, com comforted his followers with this philosophical thought. But he said, the good news of atheism, the gospel of atheism, is essentially nothing. Here's our gospel. Nothing happens after death. There's nothing to worry about. There's nothing to fear. When after you die, you are returned to that nothingness that you were before you were born. So out of his own lips, he's saying, this is my gospel, nothing, nothing. And so Harris offered that to his followers as a comfort, but nothing is a cold friend when you're laying on your deathbed. It is. Okay, I'm about to become nothing, and I'll never, ever see my loved ones again. And all the things I've achieved in life, poof, nothing. That's a cold friend. 
Never mind that he has zero evidence this is true. Right? He has zero evidence for this. So people are constantly trying to address the problem of death. More and more people are now looking to AI. Now, don't get me started on that. We can go on and on about AI. By the way, that's on the cusp. I mean, things are going to radically transform in our world because of AI very soon. But here's the point. No matter what you look at, even AI, death wins. Death always wins. And again, I think if all these people who are so obsessed, if they are honest with themselves, they would agree. I'm not going to live forever. I'm a billionaire, and I will not live forever. And so the question still looms, can these bones live? Can what is dead or dying live? And not just live for 80 years, but live forever with abundant life. And again, people are just deceiving themselves. You know, I remember watching this movie this one time where I forgot what it's called, um, and it doesn't matter actually, but basically in this movie, this young college woman had a brain tumor, and so she was going to die. And so the movie was about her uh, slow, painful death, basically just losing all the things in her life. And right before she passed away, she decided, her friends all got together, and they decided to get her all dressed up, and they put makeup on her, and they actually had a graduation ceremony for her. But when I look at humanity, that's basically what it is. Death is already upon humanity, and yet we're just playing dress up. Now, in that movie, that was a very lovely thing. I'm not putting that down. That was a beautiful thing the friends did for her so that she could have a graduation ceremony before she passed away. But that's the picture of humanity at large. Okay, we're just putting on all the accoutrements. We're going through the motions, all the events in life, and yet death is seeping in. And so can these bones live? Well, thankfully, when you look at our passage, unlike all the people in our society today, Ezekiel gave an answer that was the right answer. He said in verse 3, Oh, Lord God, you know. I don't know. Who knows? Does the billionaire know? Who knows? Who knows how to live forever? And Ezekiel says, Oh, Lord God, you know. You know, oh God. And with that expression of faith, God gave the answer to his own question, saying, yes, Ezekiel, you're right, I know. And here's the answer to my own question. Can these bones live? God says, yes. Amen? God said, yes. That is God's answer to our perennial problem of death. Can these bones live? Can you live forever? God said, yes. And this brings us to the final point, the resurrection to life. It says in Ezekiel 37, 4, then God said to me, prophesy over these bones and say to them, oh, dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. So I prophesied as I was commanded. And as I prophesied, there was a sound, and behold, a rattling, and the bones came together, bone to bone. And I looked, and behold, there was sinew on them, and flesh came upon them, and skin covered them, but there was no breath in them. And then it goes on in verse 9, then God said to me again, prophesy, speak to the bones again. Breathe, prophesy, son of man, say to the breath. Thus says the Lord God, come from the four winds, O breath, and breathe on these slain that they may live. So I did it. I prophesied as he commanded me, and the breath came into them, and they lived and stood on their feet, and an exceedingly great army appeared. So these bones came back to life. And I just want you to notice a few things. But first, notice God involved Ezekiel in bringing resurrection life. He involved Ezekiel. God always involves people to do his resurrection work. So we are involved. But I also want you to notice what God used to bring resurrection life. What did God use? Did he use a billion dollars? Did he use a famous doctor to count your calories? 
Did he use the most bleeding edge AI technology? I mean, what did God use? It was the word of God. God gave a specific word to Ezekiel, and he wanted Ezekiel to repeat it exactly over the bones. It was the word of God. If you were to go back and read that passage again, you will see God told Ezekiel exactly what to say. And in obedience, Ezekiel preached those exact words over the bones. You know, I've heard of people preaching to their dogs, you know, to practice. I've never heard of anyone preaching to dead bones. But Ezekiel stood over this valley of just dead bones and started preaching to them. And please, don't take this as any kind of offense, but I think that is the picture of what happens every Sunday morning throughout the world when preachers stand up to preach the gospel to a congregation full of dead bones. But they preach to dead bones. And Ezekiel started preaching to these dead bones. And so this is exactly what was happening. God said, prophesy over these bones and say to them, O dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. And please don't miss this. This is no small point. Because again, people today are like the walking dead. They are the walking dead. They are cut flowers. Death is already in the petals. But if they are to become alive in God and alive to him, then they must do one thing and one thing alone. They must hear the word of God, the word of God that brings life. That is the only hope you have if you're going to live forever. You must hear the word of God and receive it with a sincere heart in your, uh, in your heart. You must receive it in your heart. They must receive the gospel message. And then they will be raised from the dead. So what is this message, brothers and sisters? And we're coming to a close. But the word that God wants dead bones to hear is that God made you and loves you. But you became cut off from him because of your sin. And again, the wages of sin is death. Not just physical death, but eternal death. And the only thing that sin will ever get you in your life is death. It is death. I remember this one famous Bible scholar or journalist saying that the least accepted truth and yet the most verified truth in the Bible is this, that the wages of sin is death. And so why is the world the way it is? Okay, with all the science and technology and the education, the enlightenment, why is the world still filled with so much death? Okay, why are wars still happening? I thought we're beyond that, right? Why are nations still attacking nations? Why did somebody go to a Christian school in Nashville and shoot up a bunch of kids? Why is that still happening? Aren't we enlightened? Haven't we learned? And so people are trying to fix this, solve it, medicate all of this death away in their lives. But again, what's the end? They're just dry bones. Okay, there's no change, there's no life, there's no hope. And so knowing this, okay, this is still the gospel message. Knowing this in his great love, God, seeing that we are just dead bones, hopeless, no life. God sent his son Jesus Christ to become one of us and then die as one of us, although he had no sin. And please hear this. Jesus didn't just come and then die, but Jesus was plunged into despair. Whose despair? Ours. He was buried alive under suffering and torment. Like who? Like us. He was cut off from God with no hope. Like who? Like all of us at one point. And he didn't just feel these things, but he actually went through these things. These are all the things that we experience, right? Aren't we in despair at different points in our life? 
Again, if you haven't really, then you're too young. Haven't you been buried alive under guilt and suffering and trials? Haven't you ever felt like something was missing in your life and felt cut off from God? Well, this was Jesus and far greater than anything we've experienced. Jesus was plunged into our death. And so here's the question, why? Why would you do that, Jesus? To be our substitute, to take our place. So he lived like us, like the walking dead, so that he would die like us, under sin, under condemnation. And then three days later, he rose back to life. And by the way, that's another truth that's unacceptable today and yet is historically verifiable. Okay, we don't have time to go into all that. Do your research. Okay, ask ChatGPT. <laughs> Give me evidence for the resurrection. I'm sure it'll do it. But he came back to life, and yet for those who believe, because Jesus rose again from the dead, if you believe, you will never die again. Because Jesus rose from the dead to never die again, if you believe in him, you will rise from the dead. After you physically die, you will rise from the dead to never die again. What all these tech billionaires are so obsessively going after, you will have. You will have eternal life. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15, 54, he swallowed up death in victory. He swallowed up death in victory. No billionaire looking for the fountain of youth will ever say those words. No billionaire will ever say, I swallowed up death in victory. No one. Only Jesus. I swallowed up death in victory. Amen? But it doesn't just end with death. But let me close with this. But for those who come to life, and again, that doesn't start when you die physically and then you go to heaven. It starts now. You can be alive now. Eternal life begins now. But for those who receive Jesus as Lord and Savior, here's what God says. Ezekiel 37, 13. You shall know that I am the Lord. You will know me when I open your graves and raise you from the grave, O my people. And I will put my spirit within you. And you shall live. And I will place you in my land. And then you shall know that I am the Lord. I have spoken and I will do it, declares the Lord. In other words, you will know God. Amen? You will know him. You will have him inside of you. So bow with me. Let's come before the Lord on this Resurrection Sunday. God is an amazing God. What is your hope in? Is your hope in God? Or is your hope in the vain and empty things that so many people in the world go after. They're empty. They don't deliver. Like that degree that is so important to you. Yes, study hard for God, his glory. But that degree will not raise you from the dead. That career that you're so wanting so badly so that you can have this many zeros behind your bank account that is so important to you, that will not raise you from the dead. Or your friends, or you fill in the blank. None of that will raise you from the dead. What is your hope in? What is your hope in? My encouragement on this Resurrection Sunday is put your hope in Jesus Christ. So that when you face death on that day, and we all will, as you lie on your deathbed, or maybe it'll happen differently, but as you face, face death, you're gonna know 
This isn't the end. It's just a comma. It's not a period. It's a comma. I'm just going to transition now into even greater life. Jesus will raise me back from the dead. So if that is what you want your hope to be, then we're going to do this, and we don't do this often at our church, but today I feel led to do this. But if you want that hope, if you want that hope of eternal life, and today, right now, right here, if you want to receive Jesus as Savior and Lord, repent of your sins and put your trust fully in him, then just pray this prayer. You don't even have to say it out loud. Just say it in your heart. Say it to God, but say this prayer. Repeat it to yourself in your heart. And then afterwards, if that is you, if you pray that prayer for the first time, then we have people who will pray with you and talk with you, answer any questions you have. But let's pray. Lord Jesus, I am a sinner that has been cut off from you. And even though I am alive physically, I am dead spiritually. And I believe that the wages of sin is eternal death. So Jesus, have mercy on me. died on the cross for my sins and you rose back to life on the third day and you conquered my sin and you conquered this world you conquered the enemy and you conquered death I receive you now as my Lord and Savior in your name I pray So again, if that's you, if you prayed that prayer in your heart to God, and afterwards we have people off to the side to talk with you, to pray with you, I urge you, please, consider. Consider coming to Christ, even today. I can't think of a better day to do that than Easter Sunday. Amen? Let's just come before the Lord, and now for the rest of us, let's just spend a moment responding to the Word of God. As we do every Sunday, let's just come before Him. give me that hope again. I know that many here have that hope. You have the hope of eternal life. You have resurrection life. But let's pray, God, give me that hope again. Renew that hope today. Amen. We'll pray that. And let's thank the Lord as well. You can say prayers at Thanksgiving. And then we will close with the final song.